Happy National Cat Lovers Month, everyone. This is Liz, and here's the lineup of episodes for you to share with your feline friend in December of 2022. It's our annual end-of-the-year recap on this month's Popping Callers. Hear what we think are the most perfect pop culture moments of 2022. Greg has a captivating new interview on Under the Stole this month. He welcomes director Lila Neugebauer on the pod to talk about her feature film debut, Causeway, starring Jennifer Lawrence and Brian Tyree Henry. Breakout the Gowns and Tuxedos is going on 30 celebrates its third annual Golden Poppers this month. See what movies our listeners thought were the cat's meow. Finally, Greg and Ryan's journey on the Camino de Santiago has finally reached the end of its nine lives when they discuss the region of Galicia and what it feels like to arrive at one of the world's most famous cathedrals. Don't worry, we're just kitten around with all these cat puns. <laughs> what we really want to say is thanks for being with Popping Colors all year long, and we look forward to bringing you wonderful new shows in 2023. Keep those collars popped. Hello. Um, we're looking for Laurie Strode. We're, uh, um, we're, we're making a podcast and... We're investigative uh, journalists. If you have a moment, we've traveled a very long way. How does $3,000 sound? I have this thing where I get older but just never wiser. Midnight's become my afternoons. When my... Hello, everyone, and welcome to Popping Collars, the podcast that, uh lives at the intersection of religion and pop culture and uh, apparently rest stops given the conversation you will not hear uh, <laughs> because it will be cut out that we've just had. And that'll probably be cut out as well. My name is Ricardo Avila and I am not the host today. Uh, in fact, we can't agree who's the host. So I am the not host uh, number one. And I think I should probably stop because I think I just ruined it. <laughs> oh, that was great. That was great. All right. Well, you know, I got to say, it's been a great year. It's been a great year of hanging out with Liz, Betsy, and Greg, and all of you who listen to this podcast. And in the spirit of gratitude, I would like to say that our episode today is a very special episode. Uh, It's one we have every year. It's the best of the year episode, Popping Collars 2022, where we discuss our favorite pop culture artifacts that we encountered in the past year, talk about why we love them so, and try to get you to join us in the adulation of said artifact. My name is Ricardo Avila. I am the rector of St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Los Gatos, California. I am running on steam here, and I am happy to be here. It is the cusp of the holiday season. Actually, we are in the holiday season. And I have determined this year that I am going to celebrate Christmas during Advent, regardless of what my husband says, because I want to sing Christmas carols. I don't know why. I've just got it in me. And I'm going to have to sneak them. I can't do it at church. Can't do it at home. I'll do it in the car. And um, I want to shop. And I want to have candles that have scents in them. I want to make cinnamon and clove things that smell up the apartment. So that is my goal. Uh, And, you know, I I can just put the word Advent in front of everything and it'll make it okay. 
So with me are my co-hosts who are freaking awesome. Uh, and I'm going to go ahead and switch it around and start with Greg Knight. Hey. Greg, tell us. Wow. What an intro, Ricardo. This I don't is even know. This is just one for the record books here. Um, Greg Knight, I am in Palm Beach, Florida at the Church of Bethesda by the Sea, where I'm the associate for Christian formation. There's not a whole lot going on in my life, except I do have an unusual thing that's been happening, which is, um, you know, Halloween was fairly recently. I don't know when this episode comes out. Halloween will be a month ago or something when this episode comes out. And I live with two little people in my household. Some would call them children. <laughs> they're, um, you know, they're 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 generally pretty good. But like they go out, they get bags of candy, right? Big baskets of candy that they get trick or treating. They don't eat the candy. Oh. Like they just like they ignore the fact that they have candy sitting on the counter, and I'm constantly eating. Their candy. And I just like, I mean, it's strange, right? My kids are strange is what I'm trying to say. Like, you know, I I don't know. I guess there are some kids that just don't eat, don't graze on candy. But like, if, boy, if I were a kid and there were a bowl of candy that I could just pull from all the time, like, I would have done it, I feel like. Maybe this new generation of kids just is anti-candy. I don't know. Well, it sounds like you're doing a good job raising them, like, with not, uh, like, idolizing candy. They have good like impulse you, control. Yeah, they ha- you, they, you have it out there. They can take it if they want to, not if they don't want to. You don't, like, hide it and dole it out one piece at a time or whatever. Yeah, it makes me feel bad about myself, though. Like, that I have the child. <laughs> well, that sounds like more of the issue. <laughs> So that's all. So I still have Halloween candy in my house. Merry Christmas. That's all. <laughs> Greg, I don't I think you're doing something wrong with raising those kids. No offense. <laughs> what the heck? Greg, okay. I recently threw out some Easter candy. I'm just gonna name that. Wow. <laughs> wow. wow. Those in a bowl didn't get touched. The ants <laughs> found it though, which is why it's gone. Also with us is Betsy Carmody speaking of, and uh, Betsy, tell us what's happening. Oh, I'm Betsy Carmody. I am head chaplain here at the Episcopal High School in Alexandria, Virginia, and we're on the cusp of getting out of here for a week for Thanksgiving break. Um, In boarding school land, you get a week for break because everybody's traveling and going somewhere and giving them the opportunity to go and do that. Is really nice. So, uh, so I'll be getting out of town, going down to North Carolina to see my family and and hang out in a pretty mountain house we found and rented. And so it'll be a really nice opportunity to just you know wear leggings for a week and hike and cook together. Awesome. Thank you, Betsy. So, um, do you do you watch any of those Hallmark deals at Thanksgiving or? I am not because I tend to make fun of it. I just, it's so predictable. I was sitting in the common room the other day and some girls were watching the new Lindsay Lohan Christmas movie that is on Netflix, which I was unaware was happening. And they were kind of laughing at it too. They're like, it's so predictable. You know, they're like, it's kind of like that movie Overboard. You know, the woman fell off the boat. 
And I think that movie's been remade because I'm thinking of Goldie Hawn. But um, but yeah, so like I was like, okay, it's just too predictable for me. I can't can't do the hallmark. I, I make too much I'm too cynical, I'm too Gen Xy. It just doesn't work for me. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. Wow. Thank you, Betsy. Uh also uh with me is my with us is Liz Easton. Liz. Hey, Ricardo. I'm Liz Easton. I'm the canon to the ordinary of the Diocese of Nebraska. I'm picking up on your Advent thread. I'm sure I've talked about it this on the podcast, and I'm not a huge Christmas person. I'm a wee mm-hmm. bit of a Grinch. And I also have a touch of the seasonal affective disorder, a touch of the sad, which I get at after the time change, the winter time change. And long story short, I just think that this is so delightful. I um, was talking with my therapist on or recently about this, and she's a she's a Jungian therapist. We've been working together for years, so she has this really spiritual. Like she's not a diagnostic; she's just very, you know, Jungian. And she was like, "This is so embarrassing." She was like, "I wonder um, if like there's like I don't know like a ritual you could do or something." that really focused on the light in the midst of darkness. And I was like, I am mortified. That is literally the Christian story of Advent. <laughs> like, yep. It was just so embarrassing that I needed somebody to point out to me. <laughs> like maybe, maybe each week, Liz, you could light a candle. <laughs> light a candle. Like, and then they, the light builds and, like, and kind you could of grows. Add, like every yes. week you could add a new candle. Exactly. And if if one's a different color, that's cool. Like <laughs> so right after that um meeting, I went out and bought my first advent wreath because I think she has a good point. I think that she has a fair point about uh advent. So I'm re- I'm I'm gonna try to lean into advent this year in a new way. She didn't get it though. Like, I mean, she it wasn't embarrassing to her. She wasn't like making fun of me. That was she was making an honest observation. And later I was like, I'm a professional Christian and I didn't make this connection. And she's like, yeah, I'm a professional something too. And I miss things all the time. Like it's fine. You know, Liz, it's like some of those Hallmark specials. Sometimes you need to learn a lesson in a different way from a place that you don't expect. That's right. Like when you're in the, like when you're a big city corporate lady who goes back to the farm to make Mm -hmm. jam. Because my dad's sick and I gotta gotta save go the back. And there's, there's a town fair and your old yeah. boyfriend is hanging out <laughs> at the gazebo. But your stilettos get stuck in the mud at some point and you right. don't get good cell reception. It's really frustrating. And then you go on the Ferris wheel and it breaks down with you two at the top. And you're fighting, but then you kind of look at each other and you see things in a Ricardo looks like it's like we're it's like we're a, a website that generates Hallmark plot lines. We're a bot. We're a rom com bot. <laughs> we're, we're, we're that bot. was really good. I'm serious. <laughs> I can see why people watch video. People play video games. I was watching you do this, and I was just enchanted. <laughs> <laughs> we can do this all day. I think there should be a ro- a podcast uh, holiday rom com. Like, I'm sure you know. there is. <laughs> uh, yeah. There there is. All right. I suppose we should move on. Here we go. Well, okay. Well, all right. Let's get that. All right, here we bag. go. It is well with my soul. Hand. On camera. Bag. On screen. Yeah, Hand. Going into back. 
Yeah. Reaching okay. in. Mm-hmm. Pulling out a letter. That letter being G. Oh. oh. Good, great. Just picked something new. I'm very excited. Uh, there were a lot of things I liked this year. Betsy. That's good. Calm down. Uh-oh. <laughs> I can... Huh? I can have honorable mentions if I want. There were a lot of things that I liked. I liked um, Stranger Things. I really liked the White Lotus show. Oh, big big fan of White Lotus. Um, just really quickly, uh, White Lotus show that comes on HBO, developed by created by Mike White, who I think ran the biggest scam ever because I think he went to HBO and he's like, "I've got an idea for a show. Uh, it's set at a resort in Hawaii." So I've just got to go there and film shows a big hit. And so they're like, do you have a second season? He's like, yeah, I got a second season. Turns out it's set at a resort in Italy. So I got to go there and film. Sorry. He does love travel and was amazing. I just, I just think it's a scam for him to go to beautiful places. That's all. But anyway, I like why he was on the, he was on the amazing race with his father. Isn't he the one? He made the gay movie where Christopher Plummer was the father and won an Academy Award, right? Yeah, he's very talented. He's he also great. wrote School of Rock with Jack Black. Yeah. <gasps> oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the Chuck movie. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So um, very talented guy. White Lotus is a fun show. I like it. Um, there was a movie that came out this year that really stuck with me called Barbarian, which was a horror movie. That was on HBO and like, it's one of those horror movies that you just don't know what's going to happen from one thing to another and keeps you on your toes and very thrilling and exciting. And so really like that. But um, none of these are my pick. My pick is a television show on FX called The Bear. Um, The Bear is a show about a chef who um, goes back home to Chicago where he grew up and he takes over his brother's restaurant, his family's restaurant, really, which is just like a sandwich shop in Chicago. And he's been trained to like be a chef at like, you know, these very fancy restaurants in New York and stuff like that. But um, his brother dies of a drug overdose. And so he goes um, back and, takes over the family business and his sister's trying to get him to sell it and get rid of it. And he's like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to turn this place into a great restaurant. Okay. So why the bear? Um, okay. So uh, my 2022 and I, yeah, my 2022 was a bad year. <laughs> so my year was a bad year. And there's a lot of, you know, it's just a lot of loss and grief and stuff like that. And um And this show is, you know, I think it's become a cliche for shows in 2022, honestly, where it's like, well, you know, my show is about, I don't know, like hobbits running around in the woods, but it's really about grief. You know, it's like every show is kind of like that these days. And it's like, it's gotten sort of ridiculous, but the bear is, I mean, it's ultimately a show about grief, right? And how it kind of manifests and there's two things that resonate with me about the show. One is that the main character, Carmi, he's, he hasn't really processed his brother's addiction that led to his death. And so his sister eventually talks him into going to an Al-Anon meeting. And one of the 
sort of pivotal scenes from the show is the seven minute speech, this monologue that shows up sort of in the middle of the show where he's at Al-Anon and he's talking about his brother's death and his decisions that he made in life. As someone who had an alcoholic parent myself, like a lot of the stuff that he was talking about resonated and I've never been to Al-Anon. Right. So I say that as someone who's ignorant of the process at all, but like this idea of like avoiding conflicts, wanting to fix things, you know, uh, trying to smooth over when people get upset, you know, stuff like that. I see a lot of those habits in my, my personality and the way that I approach life and stuff. And so to see it sort of on the screen, it was like, Oh, okay. That's a bit of a mirror. That's a good thing to look at and maybe check out going forward. But ultimately the thing that I really appreciated about it is this idea of vocation, this idea that Carmi is called to this place. Like, you know, he, he's, he's a great chef and he wants to be a chef at the fanciest restaurants in the world, but that's not his job. That's not what he's called to. That's not his vocation. His vocation is working at this little sandwich shop. And all of this relates back to the fact that it's been about a year since it's clear to me that I'm not going to be ordained a priest in the Episcopal church. Right. And we've talked about this on the pod before, but like the thing that this show made me appreciate really is that, you know, 20 years ago when I first felt a call to ministry, I never doubted that call. Like I never questioned that call. Like there was never a time where I was like, um, I feel called to be a priest, but do I, I don't know, blah, blah, blah. No, I was super confident in it. And the only thing that ever made me doubt my call was people in the church who chipped away at that and tore it down and broke it. And, um, and as like, as I kept working in the church, it just kept getting brought up. And then, um, about a year ago, it just got totally destroyed. And I feel sad about that. Like, I feel like a loss. I feel like a grief of that, but it also really convinces me that like, no, I'm actually doing the right thing. Like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and that doesn't come with the fancy restaurants or whatever it is that I had in my mind of what it was supposed to be. It comes with like the work in the sandwich shop. Right. And that's actually, that's actually where I'm supposed to be. And it's actually what I'm actually good at. And I think that just, that flipped the switch in me where I was like, okay, watch this. And because we had this connection through food and he had made me feel so rejected and lame and uncool, I I made this plan where I was going to go work in all the best restaurants in the world. (laughs) And it sounds ridiculous. You know, me saying that now, but that's, that's, that's what I did. And I separated herbs and I shucked oysters and clams and uni. And I cut myself and I got garlic and onions and peppers in my fingernails and in my eyes and my skin was dry and oily at the same time. And it was everything. And a couple of years later, this funny thing happened, which is like, for the first time in my life, I, I started to find this, uh, this station for myself. And I was fast. I wasn't afraid and it was clear and I, I felt, I felt okay, you know? 
I felt like I could speak through the food, like I could communicate through creativity and that kind of confidence. You know, like I was finally, I was, I was good at something that was so new and that was so exciting and I just wanted him to know that and I just wanted him to be like, good job. And the more he wouldn't respond and the more our relationship kind of strained, the deeper into this I went and the better I got. And the more people I cut out, the quieter my life got. And the routine of the kitchen was so consistent and exacting and busy and hard and alive and I lost track of time and he died and he left me his restaurant. And over the last couple of months, uh, I've been trying to fix it because it was in rough shape. And I think it's very clear that me trying to fix the restaurant was me trying to fix whatever was happening with my brother. That restaurant, it has, and it, it does mean a lot to people. It means a lot to me. Yeah, so, so all of that is to say that this was a show that wasn't on my radar and I found it at a really curious time, which was when I came back from uh, Spain, from the pilgrimage that I did. And it was like one of the shows that I had heard buzz about and was like, well, I need to catch up on that. And so, I don't know, sometimes you run into these shows that come at a very important time in your life where you're just like, you're looking for answers and all of a sudden something comes through and it has like a mirror of what it is that you're trying to look for. It's a great show. And your point about grief, you know, I've I've definitely had a lot of those conversations as well. You know, I've been listening to um, Anderson Cooper's has a new podcast that's about loss and grief and super powerful. And but I think you're right. There's coming out of the pandemic. There's all this grief to be processed and we're kind of making space in our pop culture to do that. I agree about good art. I think it gives you a conduit that helps you kind of realize the things that you're feeling and kind of see them in a way that you might not have otherwise. Um, and I have that with, with music or other things. And it sounds like this show was that for you. And that's a blessing. Ultimately, here's the deal. I know that I'm called by God to do ministry in this church as a baptized member. Like that's what I do, right? Like that is, that's what we all do. I know that I'm, I have gifts and skills for ordained ministry but I'm never going to do it. And the show helped me figure out how to say that sentence. Yeah. Wow. Wow. All right. That's Should it. we go to the bag? It is well oh, with your soul. Liz. Liz. It's an L for Liz. You're up next. Once again, I have notes. <laughs> so I, like you, Greg, I had a lot of pop culture that I liked this year and there were a lot of things I could have picked. Notably, I, I love everything in the Jurassic Park franchise. And that came back. Thanks be to God. Um, so that was a wonderful time out. There weren't Drum. really many dinosaurs, right? It was like giant bugs or something. Yeah. It, it really entered a different phase of the Jurassic story. And it's true. Once they got away from like real dinosaurs, I I don't, didn't like it quite as much, but I will always love a Jurassic Park movie. It's my favorite thing. So I loved Stranger Things. I loved um, the new season of The Crown, which I've already finished. Um, yeah. I'm not done. I'm not done. I don't say a word because you don't know how it ends. Uh-huh. All right. <laughs> <laughs> But what I chose was um, a show that I actually haven't heard that many people talking about. And it has it has really stuck with me. It only just ended. 
And um, I think it's kind of perfect for our podcast. And that show is The Patient, which was also on FX. I watched it on Hulu. And the premise of the show is that a psychotherapist is kidnapped by one of his patients who is a serial killer. And the patient locks him up in his basement, kind of sets up a little apartment for him down there, but chains him to the floor so that he can have therapy on demand without fear of the therapist leaving and calling the police because he's finally confessing to somebody that he's a serial killer and he doesn't know how to stop. So great premise for a show, right? It's really smart. It was done by um, the creators were Joe, Joel Fields and Joe Weisberg, who were also the creators of The Americans, which was also on FX. What makes it interesting, I think, for our podcast purposes is an aspect of the show that I have not seen discussed in like mainstream press. And that is that there is terrific religious representation in this show, like more so than in anything that I've seen on TV really in years. And I am not Jewish. So I want to be careful about not trying to um, kind of identify with a distinctly Jewish story But as a observant religious person, I feel like the representation felt very real for me, just as a person who is part of a faith community. Um, And so there's, like you said, Greg, talking about grief a lot, um, creating space and pop culture to process grief. This show is definitely doing this. And one of the aspects is that when the therapist is locked in this basement, he's coming to terms with a lot of his own story because he's understanding that he may not escape this place and that there are tensions and conflicts in his life that are unresolved and are deep. And one of them is that um, his wife died and was a cantor in a reformed Jewish synagogue And when his son went to college, he became an Orthodox Jew and sort of left their Reformed denomination and embraced Orthodoxy, married an Orthodox woman, which created just tons of conflict in their home. It's really a beautiful story. At one point, um, Steve Carell praised the Kaddish like in its entirety. And Steve Carell is not Jewish. So they they did not cast a Jewish actor, which was controversial, but they did cast a terrific actor and they had a lot of religious um, coaching and, you know, people involved in the show who helped him have a really respectful approach. And then there's a huge aspect too, that he's chained to a bed in a basement and will have these recurring nightmares about confronting death in Auschwitz. Anyway, it's just, it's interesting to me that like that part of the show to me felt really significant and it's really not remarked on in a lot of the um, things that I've read about it in like mainstream press, but in Jewish publications, like there are people saying like, this is the best Jewish representation that we've seen in pop culture in years and years. So um, the patient is an excellent thriller crime show. And it also has this really smart religious representation that, that deepened um, the narrative a ton. So highly recommend. Yeah, no, it's, I've, it's on my list. I have not watched this yet. I did listen to Steve Carell interviewed on smart list and I've done a little bit of reading, but not too much to be spoiled. 
Yeah, you don't want to be spoiled with this show. I don't want to be spoiled. Because one of my favorite Jewish Instagram accounts to follow is Hey Alma. Mm-hmm. And it's really fabulous. And it's it recommend we had a group of young students here from um, JCRC, which is a group in Washington, D.C., where young people go out, young Jewish people go out and they um, host these kind of almost Jewish encounters, like learning about Judaism and all of this. And they're so fabulous and the kids are so amazing. And so they came out of that being like, do you want some Instagram accounts to follow? And our vestry was like, yes, we do. And so it was like, one of the ones on there. So I, I'd, I'd seen it pop up Steve Krell's picture, you know, the Jewishness of um, the patients. So I'm, and it crosses into my Venn diagram of serial killers, Liz. So, I mean, I'm, I'm all for it. <laughs> so, you know, maybe I'll, I will just convince the family to watch it. For Thanksgiving. It'll be great. I know every Thanksgiving we watch Hallmark rom-coms, but this year, let's watch a serial killer year, guys. <laughs> Is this how therapy works? <laughs> I don't know, Sam. Did you like being married? Yeah, I did. What were the good parts? When she went with me twice to Kenny Chesney concerts. How was that? That's not a question that you ever need to ask, ever, because they are always awesome. And she liked it too? I wouldn't say she was a full member of No Shoes Nation. What's No Shoes Nation? That's uh, Kenny Chesney's community of fans. I've been to uh, 27 concerts, and that's that's not even a lot. My friend Shane, he's gone to 78. You said it's a community. Yeah, and the lifestyle. It's peaceful. Everybody's happy. The central idea of No Shoes Nation is love. I don't understand. So, Liz, thank you for that. I, I, I... I can't imagine I'm ever gonna watch it. Just the 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 two words serial killer. I'm I sort of walk out of the room. It freaks me out. But I trust you a lot. I mean, if you're saying that there's it's a I mean it's very thoughtful and it's about life and it's about you know, concentration camps and it's about Jewishness and well, what I'm also learning about Ricardo is he doesn't like things where people are mean. Mm. So if there's meanness in a piece we don't like mean and we we don't like whatever genre we're going to call this so i feel like maybe hallmark is really your wheelhouse that's what i'm (laughs) what about conflict ricardo do you like conflict conflict's okay but not where like innocent people are being slaughtered i i don't understand i i i get it because obviously it's popular that berry show i won't even touch that show he's like a serial killer who wants to do improv it's just, I don't, talk me out of it. I, I mean, you don't have to do this now, but talk me out of it. But it just feels like a cultural nadir of some sort that we can be okay with serial killers as a, a narrative. I'm not knocking the show. I mean, it sounds yeah. amazing. No, and but I, don't, I just, I don't the concept like it. Of it. It's trivialized at all. So like, I, I totally get that. Like I never watched Dexter. Bars. Well, and uh, I, I sort of hear you, Ricardo, because Betsy and I talked about this on Going on 30, actually, for uh, Silence of the Lambs episode, where it's like, right. you know, when you have a show like Dahmer, which I know was like something where it was like, well, you know, but we're we're honoring the victims, you know, but it's like, are you? 
like you're not calling the show Dahmer's victims. You know, it's like no. you're you're making a celebrity out of a monster a little bit here. You know, I only watched like one episode of Dahmer. It was way too dark for me and way too. Um, yeah, I didn't go there. Romanticizing. But I've heard that like kids are watching it, obviously, and are mm-hmm. super traumatized like that. Now, Jeffrey Dahmer is like the boogeyman. And I've seen like TikToks and stuff of teachers who had to explain to their students, like he's dead. He's not real. But the show was so compelling and so real seeming that there was like a trauma aspect for kids. And like, that's not responsible television. I don't think Mm -hmm. we can't see it. Great job, Liz. It's a B for best. Oh, man. Okay. I can't see you, Betsy. What happened? Oh, sorry. I have a little cover, that, my cover that goes over my. Oh, camera. that's like those. Oh, because of serial killers? Because serial killers. Like... <laughs> because it was recommended by my, by my, my tech people here. Yeah. So my best of 2022, you know, my backup was the bear in case somebody. Okay. <laughs> Because Greg and I watch way too much. We watch a lot of TV. We do. We do. Uh, A lot of TV that has John Bernthal show up at some point. Interesting. Because, yeah, we own the city. We own the city also this year. It was a really good one. But for me, uh, the show that I really, that really broke through for me this year that I kind of started watching this year is, um, is Abbott Elementary on ABC. Can you touch my hand? What? If you believe in yourself enough, can you touch my hand? As I was saying. No, wait, hold on. Because if I were to just, you know, grab... Oh, oh. Come on. See, this is why science shouldn't be taught in schools. I feel like this is about something else. Look, this may come as a surprise, but I've never been good at not getting things. You don't say. Normally, I'm able to come into anything with a positive mindset and succeed. Failure is what propels science forward. If you can't accept failure, then you can never learn from it. If you can't accept failure, then you can never learn. I don't sound like that, Janine. My voice is quite deep. Now, if we can get back to the egg drop. Maybe it's what I needed this year, um, being an educator and coming out of the last two years of trying to work with children. And it was so refreshing to watch a school where COVID wasn't happening. <laughs> and, uh, but it was also just this value for teachers and what they're doing. And I very much, yeah, you know, I know that I work at a private school that has a very high tuition and all of those things. And, but that I think I've found some of my way here because of other teachers in my life who have who have been who have been there for me, and I think seeing the impact that we can make, especially on particularly young children, is is uh, is something I love. And so, just the characters that Quinta Brunson has helped create with her writers' room, who are on the show, and how you, the distinctly Philadelphian it is, and how it calls out our culture, our wokeness, our all, all these different aspects. I, I just. It's, again, like Greg and I said, we love watching a show where people are working together. And in the end, it, it all comes out, even though they're struggling with their own stuff. You know, Quinta Brunson's character, 
Janine has this element of a little bit of Amy Poehler from Parks and Rec, uh, but uh, but her own spin on that. What does idealism look like in this situation? How do I kind of hold true to the core of this character and then allow kind of different versions of chaos and order to kind of happen around it? But I just, I think the cast is tremendous. I think the, uh, you know, I love me some Shirley Ralph. I just can't even tell you. Uh, she's just such a tremendous actor and just holds it down. But everybody on the show, Lucy and Walter and um, uh, Tyler James Williams from, you know, this child actor now here and, and Janelle James is the principal is amazing. So, I mean, it's just, it's an amazing cast. Oh, and I can't, I can't not mention Chris Perfetti, who's also on it. He's the the white teacher, Jacob, who's kind of at the school. But um, I was, I was reminded again of why I like the show, because I got to fangirl on Episcopal alumni, Larry Owens, who plays Jacob's boyfriend on the show, because he came back for the football game. And I'm like, what is Larry Owens doing here? But he's been on Life and Beth, which was another good show this year. Also looking at grief. That was a theme. And uh, and he's he originated the role of Michael Jackson, Strangely Buff Broadway, but he's just an amazing actor. And so he's been in this show too. But it's I the positivity of the show, the teamwork of the show. I needed it. And I needed the energy from it. And it makes me laugh out loud. Abbott Elementary is so. great. That show is great. Sure. I watched the whole first season and it took a little while for me to get like the characters and stuff, which reminded me a lot of Parks and Rec. Like, you know, the first half of the first season of Parks and Rec was kind of like, I don't know about this. I don't know about this. And then, like you said, Betsy, like by the end of it, like laughing out loud, the earnestness and yes. sincerity of the characters is so refreshing. And also, it, it j- even though it's a comedy, it just feels really real. I agree. And in that and that interview style, like uh, I was initially worried, it was this kind of played out, like The Office or Parks and Rec, that kind of documentary style. But they they do they do just it's it's really great. I, I've heard of the show. I, I haven't seen it, but um, you know, it sounds great. Sounds it's good. just tremendous. And I think really the supporting of Black creators and. You know, and that's what Shirley Ralph said. You know, she's like, get a Quinta Brunson in your corner. Like, let's go. Mm-hmm. And Quinta's just really incredibly talented. So. I, I, I love in awards shows when people go up there and and I think, did she, maybe she didn't do this. I don't know. But just kind of reference having had a dream and yes. then being up there. And I just, mm-hmm. oh, that just grabs me every time. And it doesn't happen. You know, they go into their thank you list and they're all, oh, my God. But that whole that to have that presence to say this is something that I've dreamed about for so long, and you have to believe in your dreams and you have to keep going. And I just that's so beautiful. So the show does it have two seasons? Yeah, it's in the second season. You know, it's been interesting again to the grief. Right, she broke up with her boyfriend Tariq, and so that's what's been happening at the beginning of this season is that she's kind of getting over the fact that she was in this really long term relationship. It probably wasn't really very life-giving, but still being away from the habit of having that relationship, living together and all of that, it is difficult and you still grieve it. And like, even though you look at Tariq, you're like, he is an idiot, but uh, he's making good money doing anti-drug rapping at schools. But it's also just, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a loss of a relationship. And so they, they allow you to care for Tariq, which it can be hard to do. 
All right, now it's time for Ricardo to pick a grief-filled option so that we can just really round this out. That's right. Grief is my middle name. (laughs) So, Betsy, I just want to say that, uh, I I don't know how to say this, but often when we're doing these podcasts and I hear you talking about stuff, there's a real, uh, it's obvious that you love the kids that you work with. You know, it's obvious that you care about teenagers it just it just shows up in little comments you make and um like what you just said about the relationship breaking up and you know you even like the jerk and there's just this fondness and this affection that is not my world we have like no children (laughs) no we have a teenager we have no we have a few teenagers but yeah i mean they're lovely people but there's not that youthful vibe and um recently i had a chance to go see one of the you know three teenagers uh perform in shrek the musical at the community theater thing. And she was, uh, she was, you know, one of the townspeople, but she was so excited. And I was so like proud and happy and went to see her. And she ran over and gave me a hug. And I just like, Oh, I don't get this in my life, you know? And so I don't know that I could be a teacher or a chaplain in high school. It's not my gig, but um, I'm sort of envious. And you too, Greg, I'm assuming you like your kids that way too. And you know, you don't see, it's not, it's not, <laughs> it's not every day, you know, you're not living on the floor with them and, uh, you know, in the dorms or whatever. But One of my favorite things about being a parish priest was going to the high school plays and like the football games and stuff. I just loved that. It's nice. I would say that the funny thing about the kids that you work with is that like you, you get to see their growth as people. And that mm. those are the times where you're just like, Oh my gosh, you're actually like a legitimately good person. person. (laughs) Yeah. And I think I think I agree with you, Greg. And it's thank you for saying that, Ricardo. I do really love the kids that I work with. They they give me life, you know, they also can sometimes take take it away, but they they Mm -hmm. give mostly, right? And it is this, and I think it just it helps me honor like Greg, what you're saying, that we're all becoming. You know, they very much will look to the adults in their lives to have all the answers. And it it just puts you in your place when you are able or have to have to say, I don't know. That's a and great question. It can't be overstated just how important it is for them to have adults in their lives that aren't their parents. Yep. Like they they it's it like and you don't appreciate it until you have your own kids. And it's like my kids, you know, they drive me and Karen crazy for the most part, but it's like, then they, they get around their teachers and they're just like these sweet little angels. And you're like, wait, is this the same kid? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, the parents that, you know, the parents in our programs anyway, they feel that too. They're like, Oh, they're good for you. I see. Okay. So my pick, you know, I, I'm afraid it's going to be a little anticlimactic. Um, because this year, uh, in 2022, <laughs> I have no TV shows to recommend. In fact, I canceled everything. I canceled mm-hmm. my HBO, my Netflix, my Hulu, and I kept Amazon Prime because I, you know, do the shipment stuff with it. Um, and I, I have Apple TV sort of because I got a new iPhone, but I'm about to cancel that because I was waiting for season three of Ted Lasso and apparently it's not going to happen. For a while, so um, I'm uh, I'm getting rid of Apple. 
I don't know. I got other stuff going on. So my choice is a book of all things. And I'm slightly ambivalent about it because I, I loved it, but it's not like it's the, it's the one thing that came to mind. I think Liz and Greg, you were like, there are a lot of things I love this year, but here's the one for me. It's like, I had to like sit and think, what did I love? And so whatever. So I'm going to go ahead. Um, but I have to dig it up. I have read or listened to 39 books so far this year and uh, mostly listened to on audiobook. And I want to say that uh, of those 39, nine of them, I did not like. And I think three of them were on the New York Times best of last year books. I just did not. I don't know. Something's wrong with me. So that's like 25% of the stuff I've listened to or read. Oh, well. But this one really stuck out for me. And I don't think, you know, I don't think it's like everyone's going to say that's an amazing book. But um, I loved it. And it's called, it's nonfiction. It's called Hero of Two Worlds, the Marquis de Lafayette in the Age of Revolution. Which, who would have thought that? Um, (laughs) All right. I know, I know, I know. In the late summer of 1757, Chateau de Chavignac was the home of Gilbert de Motier, the Marquis de Lafayette. The Lafayettes claimed an ancient noble lineage stretching back to the year 1000, which included a Marshal de France, who fought alongside Joan of Arc, a knight who participated in the Crusades, and most recently, the celebrated novelist Madame de Lafayette. But despite these ancient claims, the Motier branch of the family descended from the younger sons of younger sons. It was only thanks to a cascade of sunless deaths in the main branch of the family a century earlier that the title Marquis de Lafayette landed on the shoulders of their obscure Motier cousins. I just want, I'm not going to, I'm just, this is like a seconding Ricardo. I have not read this book, but I did a little staycation this year with my best friend from growing up. And she had just finished that book and was like raving about it. And she said the really? same thing. She was like, you wouldn't think this is one of the best books I've read in years. And then you texted me like the next day or something. And I was like, you're kidding me. I just heard all about this book. That's right. That's right. So, you know, I I, 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 I listened to it. I was enthralled. So it's by, so it's Hero of Two Worlds, the Marquis de Lafayette and the Age of Revolution. It's by a guy named Mike Duncan. Now, I did not do my research, but I do know that he's a podcaster, and apparently his big claim to fame is a show called The History of Rome, Uh, and he's got some back. Williams listened to that, actually, so we finally have a little pop culture overlap, but he had this interest, I guess, in the Marquis de Lafayette. Lafayette had this amazing life. He's, He's kind of in everything from like the 1770s to the 1840s. And he is, he's the guy who was a teenager. He comes from France to uh, help out in the American revolution and uh, becomes a hero. He goes, he, he comes back, he comes a nobody to America and he returns a hero and he makes friends with Jefferson and especially with George Washington, like a father figure kind of thing. He goes back and then he's part of, the French Revolution, but not the rabid kind of reign of terror people. He's one of the initial kind of idealists that says, you know, he he actually helps write the manifesto that they use. I think he might even be like 
the Jefferson of that manifesto, whose name I forget right now, but it's something about the civilization, the Declaration of the Rights of Man and of the Citizen. Uh, that was in 1789. And then, of course, the, the revolution sort of turns on him because uh, it gets more rabid. And so he gets imprisoned for five years in, I forget where, Austria or something. Uh, then he gets out and then he's a hero again and everybody loves him. But the thing about the book is he's such a good guy through the whole thing. He's telling Washington and Jefferson, you've got to get rid of your slaves. How can you talk about freedom and justice and liberty for all and have these slaves? And they're all like, yeah, I know. I know. And so he and he tries, he even, you know, he has some wealth and he he buys um like a plantation in, oh goodness, I forget where, like the Dominican Republic, and works on kind of freeing the slaves, um, which goes awry, unfortunately. But, you know, he's just, he's so righteous. And so I guess what I loved about the book is that here's someone, he sticks to his principles, even when it lands him in prison, even when he goes against his own family, even when uh, the times change and he'll become a hero for everyone. And then the enemy of the same people because the the politics have changed. He's part of an 1830 revolution again in in, in France. He knew Marie Antoinette and mm. King Louis the oops 16th guy who got killed by the, in the revolution. So he's been he was everywhere. And and I, I just feel like I'm throwing facts at you, but his personality is such that he just really cared about things and he wanted humanity to to do well by all of its people and he had wealth and he didn't he wasn't all that so it's just it's like he's a hero you know he's like a hero that kind of makes it through sort of like i hope like for bruce springsteen you know <laughs> bruce springsteen's gonna if bruce springsteen ever got caught in some like harassment scandal i would be devastated and i feel like a little bit like the marquis de lafayette was righteous throughout his whole life so I just, I loved it. And it explained to me the whole French Revolution, all the twists and turns that are so convoluted mm -hmm. through him and all of his story. I finally understood it. I can't explain it to you, <laughs> back to you right now. But in the moment of reading it or hearing, listening to it, I was like, that's how it happened. Do you think, Ricardo, this is kind of um, still a little bit of the Hamilton fallout? for these characters. Mm. So it's like, you know, let's learn more about this person or that person or this other person that you didn't know a lot about. Like, do you think that this was like, all right, you know, Lafayette from the, like, let's go, you know, oh. the fun French guy who's in the show. You're right. That's right. He was in Hamilton, wasn't he? I bet it is. I bet that's part of it. It's a zeitgeisty thing. Um, well, there's a lot of, you know, the novels that have kind of come out of that. I mean, I listened to, a um, what's the name of the guy who shot Hamilton? What's his name? Aaron oh, Burr. Aaron Burr. I listened to on the dollop like a four-parter this summer on Aaron Burr, mm. which that which then made me have different feelings about Alexander Hamilton. Um, not mm. as positive as before, but anyway. But that that the characters in there that you know even when you write a musical or whatever they become one dimensional. So I've liked going to these historical novels and historical tellings to get more of the dynamics of the life and what this kind of looks like. Yeah, yeah I love this because it sounds kind of like Forrest Gump, 
like a, in the sense of like the yeah. story of one guy who manages to be at like a ton of history and just sort of is in the right place at the right time. Although it sounds more um, intentional <laughs> than what happened to Forrest Gump. <laughs> but especially back then, there's so many things about world history and especially like Western history that you don't like I don't line up in the time frame appropriately. So to realize that like one guy is here and there and with this person and that person and engaging with these ideas and these ideas all in the span of one human life, which is probably not even that long. Right. Yeah. Well, he lived longer than normally. Uh, I, I don't remember, but I think into his seventies, but yeah, no, you're right. You're right. He was like a forest gun. The other thing about the book that really it, it impressed me, the people, the people loved him kind of throughout all the twists and turns of the politics. Uh, initially, they wanted him. I'm going to mess up the, 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 the wording here. They wanted him to be the whatever, the president of the republic when the republic was in power. And he said, no, I don't want to do that. And they were like, good, because if he ran for it, he would totally be in because everybody loved him. It's just, it's so good to see that. Mm -hmm. And I, again, I, I don't want to read the revisionist book that comes out after this, I'm sure, because it'll be depressing that he actually did these awful things. But um, so it was a wonderful thing. And the last thing I will say about it is I didn't even think about this, but coincidentally, I went to France in September and, um, and then was in Paris for a whole week. I hadn't thought about it, but oh, yeah, Paris. Oh, yeah, French Revolution. Here I am. So I had all this background from this book as I'm walking around Paris, and it really enriched it for me. I, I didn't do it on purpose, but boy, I sure do recommend that. If, if you can read up on some history before you go to a place, it, it, it almost makes it almost kind of vibrate. You know, I, I can't think of another word. And there's a statue of Lafayette on a horse, and it was moved to this nondescript area. But initially, it was, I believe, where the pyramid is at the Louvre. So it was front and center, you know. But then they made that glass pyramid. But I went mm -hmm. to visit it, and I kid you not, <laughs> pictures, and I was like, thank you, Lafayette. <laughs> because it was just moving. Here's a statue of a man who really did his best to like make life good for people. And, you know, sadly, the progress of time has this statue relegated to this little kind of stretch of grass along the Seine that nobody really notices. Uh, but if you look, you can find it. And that, I think, is sort of a metaphor for, you know, the goodness around us. You know, if you look, you can find it, but you're not going to find it front and center because that's not what's sexy. And that's not what sells. So Hero of Two Worlds, The Marquis de Lafayette in the Age of Revolution by Mike Duncan was my best of for 2022. Nice. Mm. I love this. I love the, you know, and being here and living near Washington, D.C., you know, we hear all about like L'Enfant and, you know, all, all this French, all these French folks who are super into our revolution who come over here and like, let's dabble in this stuff. And by <laughs> the way, I'll do a little architecture for your city or whatever, you know, so it's. It's interesting to look back at a time that I think we, as I said earlier, that we kind of portray as particularly one note that's actually far more diverse. Well, and hallow. Yeah. I mean, that I think that's what I appreciate about things yeah. like this. And, and you know, and I get it. Hamilton's a complicated guy, probably not as good a rapper as you, as he right. comes across. You know, <laughs> right, agreed. A, but, but like, um, 
but like these are these are people like this idea of like founding fathers like they're treated as if like the stuff they write is treated as if it's scripture you know it's yeah. like they're goofballs they're like <laughs> like a bunch of like armchair revolutionaries hanging out and there. kids you know a lot of them like super young men yeah right right he was like 16 when he came over um yeah. maybe even 15 that's cool Great. should i close out close out the Boy, situation 2022 what a year what, what a year. year thank you 2022 yeah, yeah. For being thank still you. weird but more normal than last year <laughs> and, and none of us talked about top gun maverick i did enjoy that i'm not going to lie <laughs> It's a fun movie. There you go. Wow. Yeah. Well, on that note, uh, <laughs> that is our end of the year best of 2022 episode of Popping Collars. Kudos to probably one of the best things in my 2022. Uh, my co-hosts, Liz Easton and Betsy Carmody, Greg Knight, and I am Ricardo Avila. And uh, you are our favorite listeners. And so we're glad you keep coming back and we trust you'll join us in 2023. Uh, you can find us anywhere you found us to listen to us right now, including things like Stitcher, which is the only one I can ever remember. And I don't even know what that Sp- is. Spotify is our big one. Spotify, Pandora. Apple Podcasts. Apple Podcasts. We always say Stitcher first. So it's the one that sticks in your head. I know, but yeah. like, I don't think anybody on Stitcher listens to. <laughs> is it like saying MySpace? Is this like saying go like, find us on MySpace now? I have a is this, breakdown. Is this anymore? Oh, I'm embarrassed. That's right. You can find us at episcopaljournal.org. You can find <laughs> us there. We love episcopaljournal.org. Actually, I don't know them very well, but I wish them well, and I'm grateful that they have our podcast on their in, in their journal <laughs> entry. <laughs> So you can find us there too. And we are at the website of poppingcollarspodcast.com. You should go there. You don't go there and you should, because you can vote for, can you still vote for the Goldie? The oh yeah, 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 yeah. Oh no, no, you can't. Not when this episode comes out. No. See what you did by not going there. So <laughs> go there next time and go there often. Cause there will be waiting for you with open arms. So is that it for the episode? I think that does it. Yeah. So thank you, everybody. And we'll see you in 2023. And over the holidays and into the new year, remember to keep those collars pop. Pop, pop. This is fascinating. So you got me looking up like where people get our podcasts. So Apple Podcasts makes up 57.7% of our listeners. Me too. And then Pandora is 10.5%. Pandora. I think Firefox, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, Mixer Box. I don't know any of these things. Samsung Podcasts, Safari, Player FM, Player FM, Google Podcasts, Alexa. Oh, Alexa, play Popping Collar.